We're going to be in John chapter, chapter 18, and we are going to pick up in verse 28. 18, 28 is where we're going to be. Um, this is Jesus. So we've seen his arrest. We've seen the beginning of the trial. Now, the Jewish high priests were putting Jesus on trial, and it wasn't grounded in law. It wasn't grounded in Jesus's rights. Jesus had certain rights as a Jew that the, that the chief priests and all them were supposed to follow when they were taking someone to court. But they skipped a lot of those, and they just jumped right on into the court, and they pretty much were setting them up. It was a sham of a trial. It was a scam. They didn't do anything by the books, really. So Jesus, from there, is going to be transported to a Roman governor. What's that Roman governor's name? Pontius Pilate. Right, Pontius Pilate. Back in the day, some of y'all, older folks in here, y'all used to hang out and run with him, right? No, I'm just kidding. But you knew him as Pepe, Pontius Pilate. So, or Pepe in Italian. So, the, the folks of Pontius Pilate's home, he lived in this palace, right? He lived in a governing palace. He was the governor of Judea. He also had another palace that he spent most of his time at. He usually wasn't in downtown Jerusalem. But since this was the time of the Passover, and there were going to be lots and lots of people there, he thought, this is the time I need to be down there. Because if there's ever going to be something that happens in Jerusalem, it's going to be now. Pontius Pilate was the governor there, basically... From 26 A.D., anybody know what A.D. means? Don't yell it out. Just raise your hand if you think you know. All right, A.D. does not mean after death. Mm, raining on some of y'all's parades right there. A.D. means Anno Domini. Real fancy, it's Latin. It's Latin for, and it means in the year of our Lord. Because there's this funny thing that if it meant after death, there would be this period from zero until Jesus died that would be unaccounted for. What are you going to call that? B.C. still? Can't. So in the year of our Lord takes place from zero, it doesn't mean after death. All right, just want to throw that out there for you in case you thought it meant after death. So today we're going to be looking at this interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. And it's a very strange interaction. It's an interaction that's all about truth, and it's almost like the two of them are talking, they're talking to each other, but at the same time, it seems like they're talking past each other. And we're going to look at that today. So what is truth? Anybody know what truth is? Anybody have a good definition of what truth is this morning? We all know it when we hear it, right? I can say two plus two is four, and that's the truth. And you'll be like, amen, brother, preach. <laughs> preach simple math. So truth is verifiable when you know it and when you hear it. But the problem is you need to know it. You need to have an understanding that it is reality. Now, here's where we get into something called subjective truth. Or relative truth. You ever hear that term? Subjective truth, relative truth. Y'all gonna learn a lot today. Y'all gonna, it's like, he's a preacher and a teacher. 
Relative truth means truth for me, but maybe not for you. Pretty big in our culture. Has been big in culture, even way back in Jesus' day. Well, what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. You know what? And in a subjective small sample of life, that's true. Because y'all aren't going to... You might say, Tony, I love everybody. And you may mean that. But I'm going to bet that I love my family more than you do. So in a sense, it's, it's there, but it's not truth. Absolute truth. What's absolute truth? That's two plus two. It's four. That is, you're going to prove it. It's going to be right no matter who says it, who does it. Subjective truth is truth changes according to the person who beholds it, who has it. All right? It's a big problem in our world today. Subjective truth is something that is working its way and has worked its way into politics. Subjective truth is basically saying, well, we can both be right, right? We don't have to argue over it. Can't we both be right? Can't we all just get along so we don't have to have confrontation and all that stuff? But there is such a thing as absolute truth. Most of the time, Christians are on the bad end of the draw when it comes to relative truth and conversations like that with people. People will say, you know, because you stand on the Bible, you stand on the word of God and you say, well, this is a sin. And people will say, well, for you, it's a sin, but for me, it's not. Well, if we're talking about something like. If we're talking about something like. We're talking about something that the Bible hits being greedy, Right. We look at that and we say, that's wrong and that's sinful. Someone else out in the world may say, well, it may be wrong for you because you believe in that crusty old book, but it's not wrong for me in what I've experienced in life. Avoid those arguments and confrontations. What you can ask them, actually, is you can shut them up pretty quickly with this and you can say, really? So is that true? And if they say, yes, absolutely, you can say, so that's true for all people. And they say, yeah, then you would say, then you believe in absolute truth. And I don't want to get my absolute truth from you, who has different experiences in life that I may not. That's an easy way to deal with them. So Pontius Pilate and Jesus are going to be having a conversation about truth. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be looking at three things today. The world in truth, the search for truth, and Jesus, the truth. So the first thing we're looking at is the world and truth. Now, we're going we're gonna to read here, and y'all are going to see that Jesus is going to be dealing with some folks that weren't necessarily kind to him. Verse 28 says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early in the morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, 
If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your own law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying the death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered him and said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I'll find no I find no fault in him at all. All right. As a former atheist, I was all about some truth back in college. I was in those college days, and I said, you know, don't, don't bog me down with your cockamamie little church Bible stories that don't make any sense, that sound like fairy tales and from the back of someone's imagination. Give me truth. And it's really funny because I kicked against that so hard and I, I played that song so much that I realized even at that point in my life why I was so against the word of God. You want to know why? Because truth for me, and I was living under that objective truth, truth for me is that every person, or was for me, was that every person should be strong enough to make it through their life without needing a bunch of fairy tales to live by, right? Because that's how I saw this book. And then God broke me one day. And it was like, Tony, you brag about how you don't need a crutch to go through life and how you're strong and you can walk on your own. But then it hit me that day. It's okay to need a crutch. It's okay to be carried by the one who created you. And when that finally hit me, it was like, all my defenses dropped and I could hear the word of God for the first time and I could hear it and see it, not as a story, but as truth. Here, Jesus is coming into the presence of Pontius Pilate and he's being delivered by Jewish leaders. Now, the Jewish leaders had their own truth. You know what their truth was? Their truth was, we're going to be religious. We are religious no matter what. We are religious and we cannot be shaken from our religion 
and we believe in one God. We believe in the Old Testament, basically, is what they believed in your Bible. And they took that seriously. So when Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts healing people and he starts forgiving people, that was something that only God could do. It was a form of blasphemy. But Jesus, in essence, was becoming the temple to the people. I mean, we see that throughout the Bible. You read that in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You see how Jesus became the temple and now you are the temple and his spirit dwells within you. Jesus was basically doing away with temple ministry and he was bringing that to the people, which meant that the temple was going to be obsolete. And the people who ran the temple, who made living and held power because of the religion that took place at the temple, they did not like that. So that's why they came up with a sham of a trial and they brought Jesus in the middle of the night and they were beating him up and they were finding him guilty and now they're bringing him to Pontius Pilate to receive the death sentence for the heresy that he was preaching and spewing in the streets. The blasphemy. Their truth was that if Jesus continues rising, we are going to suffer as a group of religious leaders. And they were offended at Jesus for some reason. The irony of all that was that in the midst of all this phony mock trial that they basically did, the lies that they perpetrated and propped up they even set up liars to tell stories about Jesus so that they could get a guilty sentence or a guilty verdict. In spite of doing all that, notice how they don't go into Caesar's palace, into the praetorium, right? They will not enter because if they did, you know what would have happened? They would have been ineligible to celebrate the Passover because they would have been in a Gentile place. And that was a big no-no. You see the irony there? They were so worried about being stained by the non-Jewish people, by the Romans, that they said, we can't go in, Pontius Pilate. We can't go in there and have that conversation there. You've got to come out here. Because we are trying to keep ourselves holy, even though we've been lying all night long to get to this point. You see a problem with that? You know, there's a lot of people today that do not like to experience God with other people in a corporate setting, in a worship service like this, because they go, there's just so many of those Pharisees and the priests, just like in John 18. They're a bunch of hypocrites and a bunch of phonies and a bunch of frauds. Amen. In this room, we have a bunch of phonies and frauds. And I'll be the first one to say, I'm probably one of them. I am one of them. I'll claim it. And I wish I could always be biblical in my life. I wish that I could honestly open this book and say, man, every single day I go without sin. Every single day I am perfect according to the law of God. But I am not. 
Sorry if you thought I was. <laughs> Nikki will tell you all the time that I'm not. Every single person in here, in a sense, is that kind of hypocrite. But you know what? God doesn't focus on the hypocrisy of us. Right? I always tell people, well, you won't go to church because there's hypocrites there. But you go to Walmart, pretty sure there's hypocrites there too. But Walmart isn't claiming to be perfected by God. We are. And we constantly need his perfecting because we don't have it all together. Truth. Now, these folks were absolutely hypocritical in the way that they dealt with Jesus. They were outside of the law. They were pushing to have him eliminated from the scene. All while appearing to be zealous for God. That's wickedness. All having this superficiality and hypocrisy about them when we look back on it. Always consider yourself as someone needs God's hand in their life because they don't have it all together. Always consider yourself and count yourself among that because there are people on the outside looking in that are going to judge you. And you're going to be the closest thing that they may have to ever reading the Bible. So be honest with them. Be open with them. You can talk about how you're not perfect. And how about you don't have it all together. You know what that does? That lowers that wall of hypocrisy down. You can draw them in. Take it from a guy that had been there in my college days. Now the next thing we're going to look at is the search for truth. So the world and truth, people, people just act in hypo, hypocritical ways, in ways that they're worried about finding their own truth, pushing their own truth, pushing their own agendas. That's how the world operates in truth. But now there's this search for truth. And I honestly believe that Pontius Pilate wanted to have a real interaction, just get to the bottom of it and really serve justice. Now, some people say Pontius Pilate was weak in the Bible and all that kind of stuff. Pontius Pilate, study him, and I have throughout the last couple of days, he was a shrewd, political, powerful governor. He was a leader that when you asked people about him, weakness did not come up. In fact, there was a story in this may have been how a guy by the name of Barabbas ended up in jail. And, and this is recorded in history books, Josephus and other stuff. There was going to be an uprising in the region of Galilee. And instead of sending soldiers there, what Pontius Pilate did was he had kind of the uh, undercover operation go up there. He had the, the undercover guys dress up, soldiers dressing up as Jews. And they didn't carry swords and they didn't dress like Romans just like Jews, and they carried clubs with them. And they were going in amongst the people because they heard 
through intel that there was going to be a revolution that was going to begin there, an uprising. So what they did was they showed up with this group of soldiers. The soldiers were among the people. When the people started talking about it, they figured out where it was going to take place, who was in charge of it. And the soldiers went there with their wooden clubs and issued a beatdown to people. Some say that's where Barabbas killed someone and he was a leader of an uprising. So anyway, this search for truth with Pontius Pilate and Jesus. As we read through there, we know that the two of them are both leaders in a sense. They both have people under them in their dominion. They both have, I guess you could call it a kingdom. They both were responsible for followers and in charge of men. So they had that in common. One of them called himself a king, himself a king that was Jesus, and the other one was a Roman governor who, for all intents and purposes, was treated as a king in Judea. He was the hand of Caesar. Both of them were posted in a position that wasn't ideal. See, to be a Roman governor, as Pilate was, and to be sent to Judea was not a real glamorous gig. It was kind of the lowest on the totem pole job. That would be like, man, I work in a fabulous, I work in the best place ever. I'm the guy. Pontius Pilate had that gig out of all the governorships that he could have had. He was set up in a place where uprisings were normal, where there was always political divisions among people, religious divisions among people, battles, wars, conquests throughout history. That's the area he got issued to. And this group of people, the Jews, he was set over. Now, back in Rome, he would have known the Jews because there were Jewish ghettos in the city of Rome back then. So he would have seen them and had firsthand experience with them in how they did things, how they didn't eat pork, how they on Saturday laid low and they didn't work and it gave them a very lazy reputation. They were picky eaters. They had all these other things going on. They wouldn't worship other gods. They'd only worship one God. He understood a little bit about the Jews. So when he goes to Jerusalem or, or Judea, he sees that and he goes, oh, I'm stuck with these people all around me. <sighs> stuck with all these other groups from the side that had problems with the Jews. And it was his job to make sure that Judea didn't show up on Caesar's radar. That's his job. Now I want you to think about the job of Jesus. Jesus had it made, right? Jesus lived in eternal glory. But then, one Christmas, he's born of a virgin. He now takes form of a human. 100% God, 100% man, form of human, and he gets to live the sinless life. And it was a temptation for him. 
Jesus tempted him in the uh, Jesus. Satan tempted him in the desert for 40 days. And Jesus overcomes that and he overcomes the rest of his life without sin. And he's living in this cesspool of sin and humanity. And it's his job to save them. People could look at Pontius Pilate and go, man, he got a bad gig. But look at what Jesus had before he came. And he put on flesh so that he could save us. His mission trip in his outpost was planet Earth where sin and Satan ruled and reigned. He was the ruler of a spiritual kingdom while Pilate was the ruler of a political and physical kingdom. Pontius Pilate was seen as practical and pragmatic throughout his days. Why? Because that was the truth that got things done for him. Objective truth. Jesus had that absolute truth. Jesus wasn't concerned about the political and the day-to-day operation of humanity. He was concerned with the spiritual well-being of humanity. However, he was also very practical and pragmatic because his mission didn't end with a 15-year tenure or 10-year tenure like Pontius Pilate's would. His mission had to be fulfilled so that humanity could be made right with God. Going back to the Garden of Eden, where sin entered the world. So we have Jesus on his mission, and his mission just isn't to teach people how to pray and feed the 5,000 and raise that one from the dead or do whatever. His mission is literally, I must become one of them, live the sinless life that they cannot live, die on a cross, and bear the eternal wrath of God on their behalf, and the folks that will come after them, like us, that would believe in him, so that he could become our sin as well, be dead, be buried, put in the grave for three days, and rise up out. That was his mission. And then the Garden of Gethsemane, we looked at that several weeks ago, a few weeks back. Jesus didn't want the cross. He's sitting there and he's praying and he's, he's weeping and, and sweating blood. And he's like, Father, if there's any other way, Get happy. But not my will be done, but yours. Because I know the mission that is before us. I know the mission that I've got to fulfill. And he does it to perfection. Jesus was just as practical and pragmatic as Pontius Pilate. Because the truth was, he had to be. And then we look at Jesus being the truth. Here's some of those verses, Lee. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And John 1, 17 says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
In John 16, 13, says, In these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. In Christ was that truth. In Jesus was that truth. In John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So in our world today, we look for the convenient truths that help us go through life, fulfilling our own agenda, fulfilling our own talking points, whatever it is, our own stance on politics or Christianity or spirituality. But we have this word and his word is truth. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, your word is truth. And when we bank on that, and when we hold this close to our hearts, when we build our lives upon that, we exercise our lives in absolute truth. Pilate, in this back and forth they have, he says to him, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, this is verse 37, He said, rightly, I'm a king. For this cause, I was born. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear the voice of God as you pick up this book and you read it? Do you see the problems in your life float to the top? Do you see that the shortcomings that you have become abundantly more clear because the light of God has been shining on it? And you can look at it and go, oh, that's ugly. How many of y'all looked in a mirror before you left the house this morning? Only about nine of you. Some of you needed to. We look in a mirror because we want to make sure that we look right, presentable, that we don't have that big chunk of breakfast stuck in our teeth or the hair is going off sideways, whatever. When we put ourselves in front of his word and we see ourselves reflecting there, we go, oh, that's out of place. And oh, got to work on that. And when we do that, God looks at us and goes, hmm. I'm glad you put yourself in front of me this morning before you left. Because I don't want you to represent me looking the other way. Now, I'm not talking you get to dress up and look all fancy and gussied up to go somewhere as a believer. But what I'm saying is spiritually, we need to, through prayer and through the study of his word. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you don't know him in that form of truth, I'm going to give you this next little part that goes along on the end. Now, I mentioned him earlier, a guy by the name of Barabbas. And in verse 39, and I didn't tell Lee, so I don't think he'll have it up there unless he's really good and can put it up there. 1839. This is what Pontius Pilate says. After he says, I find no fault in this guy. After exchanging With him, he's just this political, philosophical, spiritual guru. There's no reason to put him to death. He doesn't claim to be 
the king of this world and your king right now? And Pilate says in verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all said, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. In other gospels, you'll see he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. And Barabbas, spoiler alert, was set free and Jesus was put to death. And I want you all to know something. Jesus took Barabbas' place on that cross because Barabbas' death sentence was there, but he was freed and released, and Jesus took his spot. Some of y'all have heard this because I've preached a sermon on it. You know what the name Barabbas means? Look at it. Bar Abbas. Bar meaning son of, and Abbas meaning fathers. Abba father, Abbas fathers. Barabbas' name literally means the sons of the fathers. And according to all those Pharisees and all the high priests and all the regular priests and all them, they looked at their heritage as worth, as worthy of getting them to heaven. They thought their heritage and their lineage and their family would save them. And they said, let Barabbas go. And literally what they were saying is, let the sons of the fathers go. Let their religion go. Let their tradition go. Get that off and set it free so that we can crucify the one who is claiming to be Bar Abba, the son of the father. The one who claims God as father, as dad. They said, kill him, let the son of the fathers go. And they chanted it, and they shouted it in the streets, and Pilate eventually collapses because his truth was, Jesus, it's either me or you, and sorry, dude, it's going to be you. And he turns him over to be crucified while he stays off the radar. Little did we know, It was all part of God's perfect plan. And Jesus was willing to take that cross because he had to. It was his mission. His mission to save you and me so that we could have a right relationship with the one who knit us together and formed us in our mother's wombs.